This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Uh, so this morning, uh, we're continuing a sermon series uh, on the book of Daniel. Uh, and it is our, our task this summer uh, that we would be journeying through the book of Daniel, uh, all 12 chapters. We're going to do it in 10 weeks, and we're actually going to start sort of slow. We're going to finish with chapter 1 this week, and then we're going to go at about, about a pace of a chapter a week for the next uh, several weeks to wrap up in late July. And I've shared this uh, uh, most weeks we've gathered, but the purpose of this is several fold. Uh, one, uh, many of you uh, have children in, in traditional schools. Who has, who has children in the traditional calendar? You guys, yeah? Uh, who teaches a traditional calendar? Yeah, that, that hand went up way faster. Now, just to be clear, parents are like, yes, my children are home now. Teachers are like, yes, your children are home now. Right? That's how that works on Friday. Um, and so the, the rhythms have started to change, right? We, we've started to experience uh, new rhythms. Um, for many of us, uh, we are vacationing or with family. We, uh, summer begins to look differently for us. In the church, we actually call summer ordinary time. It's the time where things sort of slow down and you get into these regular rhythms throughout the summer. There is no Christmas. There is no Easter. There is no Pentecost. It's just this long season uh, where we gather together and we sort of go through the ordinary doldrums of life. I mean, that doldrums not being boring, but dold- just, just sort of the ryth- regular rhythms. And in that regular rhythm, what we feel like as a church has been very helpful for us is for us to find rhythms of being in a particular book. And by being in a book, it allows us to stay connected re- regardless of whether you are here every Sunday, regardless of whether you are traveling, that we stay connected through a consistent patter- pattern of reading Scripture that allows us uh, to, to be together, again, in this space or otherwise. Uh, every week we podcast our sermons, and so I shared that with some friends this weekend, and they were like, like, the church is so different than when I grew up. Like, you guys are, like, putting sermons online and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, now they haven't been in church in 10 years. It's a different problem. Um, but, <laughs> but we're doing that, again, not just because what I say is brilliant. It's really not. But what we, what we do that to, to keep us connected, right, to keep us connected to one another, to, to keep us connected to the, the life of the church. And that way, uh, through the teaching, through the preaching, through the the even virtual gathering, we might stay connected to the word and to God's people. So I would just encourage you this summer, uh, find a way to be in Daniel. If you're not here every week, uh, find a way to get connected to the podcast, get connected to scripture, uh, maybe read it with your family or small group or with other people, but find a way to be in God's word this summer. It's so valuable for us. Uh, it's, it's so easy for us when we get out of rhythm to get disconnected from God. And so I would encourage you this summer just to find ways to be in those uh, consistent rhythms, including, including being in scripture. So this morning, we're going to go to Daniel 1, and we're going to finish it up as I shared. So I just invite you, if you have a Bible with you, open with me to Daniel 1. You can leave it open with you. Uh, I know many of you have a Bible app. Feel free to pull it up on your phone or other places, but flip with me to Daniel 1. Uh, As I shared before as well, there's no shame in using the table of contents. Uh, Daniel is in the Old Testament. It is a hard book to find if you don't know where it is. It's late in the Old Testament, and so I'll just encourage you to to, to find out where it is, flip to it, and let us hang out uh, in Daniel 1 this morning. Uh, if you have not been with us and you want to catch up to where we are, uh, Daniel is telling the story of the Jewish people, uh, particularly the people from the area around Jerusalem, which is called Judah. Uh, that people around 600 BC were attacked by Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar, and thousands of people were exiled from Jerusalem and the, the greater uh, Judah area, Judah region, and pulled into Babylon. Now, Babylon is in what we know today as modern-day Iraq, and so they were pulled from uh, the, the, crest, the, the coast where Israel is across that land into Babylon, and thousands were there not just to be present, not just to be gone from their place, uh, but to, to be in the service of the king. And so they were pulled there to serve, to serve Nebuchadnezzar to be uh, really changed into Babylonians. And Nebuchadnezzar, we spent time last week 
uh, really was intentional, not just about conquering the people of Israel, but about really acculturating them into Babylonian culture. You know, Nebuchadnezzar uh, took, in this case, four friends uh, from the royal family, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, and he took them into service along with many others and taught them the language of the, of the Chaldeans, the language of Babylon. He also taught them, uh, to, or gave them food to eat and food to drink, uh, wine to drink that was from that culture and that region. And then he also uh, changed their names. And last week we spent most of our time on the name change. And so uh, I know that uh, our new youth director, Marcus McClellan, thought it'd be fun. And so he actually put on Instagram this week for our youth. Uh, he actually invited all the staff and then all of our youth to, to tell some of their stories. And so he actually, do you have a picture of that, Donna? So we're in our staff house right now. We actually have uh, all the stories of folks that, that are in the office, not all of them, there are about 15 stories that were, that were put up there of names. And we began to share our names and where our names came from and the family heritage that it came out of and, and all those pieces. And, and he shared that on Instagram for youth to engage in and react to. And I know many of you told me you went and told you know, why, where your name came from to people you went home with last week or uh, you know, whether it's spouse or family or the kids asked questions about where their names came from. And I think I warned uh, parents that you had like an hour to make up a good story. So hopefully you had plenty of time uh, to, to figure out where those names came from. Uh, but they began to, to do this to the, the Israelites, again, not to simply conquer them, but to really begin to turn them into Babylonians. They wanted to make them become Babylonians. And the whole book is set with Daniel and his friends and these thousands of Israelites in exile, in a foreign culture, in a foreign place with foreign pressures, to begin to be formed and shaped by that culture. And there are these acts of resistance that happen throughout the entire book uh, where Daniel and uh, who we commonly know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego resist the pressures of culture to stay connected to their story, to co- stay connected to their family, connected to their God. And so Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 is the first sort of act of resistance that we see uh, happening uh, in the book of Daniel. So again, have Daniel 1, uh, verse 8 will begin uh, there this morning. But Daniel resolved that he would not dis- defile himself with the royal rations of food and of wine. So he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself. So Daniel, uh, being named a particular way, being forced to learn learn the language, is also offered the food and wine. And Daniel says, you know what, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat that food and wine. Like, uh, that is something I'm just not willing to do. Now, for many of us, if you're like me, food is part of our heritage. Food is part of who we are. Uh, For some, it's deeper than others. I know that uh, when my wife and I got married, one of the biggest challenges, honestly, of the first year for many married couples is learning how to eat with the other person. Uh, Brittany Absher-Bear, who is our associate pastor at Fiesta, just celebrated her one-year anniversary, and I said, how was it? I mean, was it like, how was your first year? And she's like, it was great. And we started talking about this, and I said, well, how was like eating together? And she's like, that's the hardest thing we do. Like, he just makes everything wrong. Like, you know, like, and, and I remember that for, like, for Aaron and I, we'd have these conversations, right? Like, we, we would make spaghetti, and, like, now in our household, we don't make good spaghetti. We, like, either choose, like, we take ragu and maybe put some ground, you know, ground beef in it. That's how we, we call that, like, homemade spaghetti. Um, but in Aaron's family, she uses prego because, again, they're really fancy. Well, that was a big <laughs> point of contention, right? Like, do you use ragu or prego to make your homemade spaghetti, right? Like, that's, that was, and now, of course, we use prego, just for the record. Um, <laughs> 
But, but food becomes part of our heritage, right? When we have the same fights about how you make tacos or, again, y'all are like laughing at me. Like we don't, you're going to think I make nothing from actual scratch, uh, which I don't. Ortega is awesome. Um, but we do these things, right? And we, and, we, and we have these things. Now, the benefit of being uh, married to, to Aaron is we grew up in the same town. Uh, we were born in the same town in Virginia. And so our parents actually, like both sets of parents had the same cookbook from the same PTA. And so like a lot of our recipes were exactly the same, which was such a gift. Cause, and I remember pulling out the cookbook one time and be, she's like, I have that cookbook. I'm like, that's why your food tastes so good, right? I mean, she's also an incredibly gifted cook. And she's beautiful, and she's brilliant, and we're podcasting this, right, Donna? <laughs> Just... <laughs> but food becomes part of our culture. Food becomes part of what shapes us and what forms us. And, and, and for Daniel, food meant a lot. For the Israelite people, food was a big piece of who they were, a big piece of their identity. And there was law. I mean, there was law about what they could and couldn't eat. And so as Daniel was looking at this, one of the things I think Daniel was reflecting on is, is if I eat this food, do I begin to distance myself from my God and from my family? Do I distance myself from my heritage, from who I am? Does Babylon actually begin to take hold of me in a way by eating their food in a way that actually, that actually breaks from me who I am, breaks, breaks from me part of, of where I come from, part of what's important for me? I invite you to flip with me to Leviticus 11. We won't spend a lot of time here. Um, Leviticus is in the Old Testament. Uh, it's the third book of the Old Testament. It's really the, the law book of the Israelites. We'll have it on the screen as well. But in Leviticus 11, you get a taste of what uh, what Levitical law looked like for the Israelites. They had very clear outlines uh, of what this looked like. So I'm going to read from Leviticus 11, beginning with verse, verse 1. It said, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, From among all the land animals, these are the creatures that you might eat. Uh, any animal that has divided hoofs and is cleft-footed and chews the cud, such you may eat. Now, they were people who, like, hung out with animals enough. I don't do this very well, right? We don't, I don't know what that means. I have to go look that up. But they did. You know, they, they were raising animals in those fields. But among those that chew the cud or have divided hoofs, you shall not eat the following. The camel, for even though it chews the cud, it does not have a divided hoof. It is unclean for you. The rock badger, for even though it chews the cud, it does not have divided hoofs. It is unclean for you. The hare, for even though it chews the cud, it does not have divided hoofs, it is unclean for you. So far, I'm like, this is easy. No camels, no rock badgers, no rabbits. Like, I'm totally good. And then verse 7 happens. <laughs> the pig, for even though it has divided hoofs and is cleft-footed and is delicious because it makes bacon, ham, and barbecue. <laughs> is that, no, you have the wrong version up there. I don't know where. It does not chew the cud, it is unclean for you. Of their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean for you. And it goes on, and it goes on into about the animals of the sea, and it goes about all these places, and there's this, this whole dietary law that Israelites would have been formed to. And so Daniel's whole diet, Daniel's whole pattern would be shaped around, around these laws. And so there's, it's a possibility, it's likely, uh, that one of the reasons Daniel was rejecting the food of Nebuchadnezzar was because Daniel was rejecting uh, not being defiled or being made unclean by food that was likely not kosher. Now, the other reason that Daniel may have rejected the food is that meat in that time, particularly, uh, would have been the result of sacrifice. Uh, people would bring meat to the temples, in the case in Babylon, to temples of Baal and of Nebo and of uh, Aku, and they would sacrifice these animals to these other gods. And so Daniel, as a servant of God, Yahweh, the, the God of Israel, uh, would have refused God uh, food sacrifice to idols, sacrifice to these other gods. 
And so therefore, again, he may have chosen to not eat meat uh, in order to preserve uh, his loyalty to Yahweh. But either way, Daniel's trying to claim and hold on to uh, this heritage, this culture that, that helps shape and form him as a, a child of God. So we'll pick up again, Daniel verse, uh, chapter 1 uh, with verse 9. So now God allowed Daniel to receive favor and compassion from the palace, palace master. And the palace master said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, for he has appointed your food and your drink. If he should see you in poorer condition than the other young men of your own age, you would endanger my head with the king. Now, just to be clear, he's not concerned about Daniel or his friends. Uh, Ashpenaz is clearly concerned about the king beheading him. Then Daniel asked the guard whom the palace master had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Notice no meat there. And you can then compare our appearance with the appearance of the young men who eat the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who had been eating the royal rations. And so the guard continued to withdraw their royal rations and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And to these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. And Daniel also had insight into all visions and dreams. At the end of the time that the king had set for them to be brought in, the palace master brought them into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar. The king spoke with them. And among them all, no one was found to compare with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they were stationed in the king's court. And every matter of wisdom and understanding concerning which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel continued there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, there's a lot going on in these 13 verses or so. Uh, but I want to focus this morning really on, really on two questions. You know, Daniel finds himself in this foreign land, exiled in Babylon uh, from uh, Jerusalem, away from uh, the temples, away from the places that he knows and where his identity is formed in this foreign land with culture pressing in around him. And I want to focus on two responses. One is what Daniel does. So what does Daniel do with that? What, what actions does Daniel take? And then secondarily, with whom does Daniel do this? So what does he do and with whom does he do this? Because I think these two questions are so important for us as we face uh, similar things. As we face being in a culture, in relationships, in workplaces, in communities that, that often will press in on us and they will require of us or they'll, they'll, they'll expect of us certain cultural responses that may or may not be consistent uh, with the values that we claim as Christ followers that we might be in places that, that demand of us to at least consider stepping outside of this faith in which we've been given. And we're, when we're not in uh, those safe places, when we're not in church, when we're not surrounded by people who share those same values, often that is amplified in a way that we have to decide what do we do with that cultural, that cultural pressure. And, and what Daniel does, I absolutely love. And you see this uh, throughout, uh, throughout Scripture, throughout the whole book of Daniel. We'll come back to it over and over again is that Daniel, when faced with pressure from the outside, does something that I'm honestly not very good at. 
And that is rather than blame the forces that are outside of himself, rather than blame the other person, Daniel actually looks at himself and says, what can I control? What can I do? What can I do about myself or my own behavior or my own actions that might make me look and be connected more to God so that I might then be able to to lead a particular life or have a particular influence? He starts with himself. Now, for me, this is, this is how I am, right? So last week we talked about Galatians chapter 5 and how one of the fruits of the Spirit is to be patient. All right, so I've got two kids. One of them's 8, one of them's 10. Um, my kids are like, they make me unpatient, impatient. It is their fault. Like, if they would just stop talking all the time and stop asking all those blasted questions, and if they would just be quiet in the car when we drive for two hours. By the way, that's why God invented DVD players, just to be clear then I would be a much more patient person, right? Like, yes, if my kids were better, I would be better. Like, if they would just behave, and I'm like, if you know my kids, my kids are awesome most of the time. Uh, but they, they cause me to sin. It's their fault, right? I like to blame my kids. It is my kids' fault that I am the way I am. Or uh, we do this with, with how we react with our spouses, Right? Again, my wife is amazing. If you know my wife, she is incredible. She is brilliant and beautiful and smart and, like, is a great mom and a great wife. Like, she is amazing. She really is. But there are times where I'm, like, like I'm ungrateful for things, and I want to be appreciated more. And I'll be like, if she would just appreciate me more, because I am an awesome husband, right? I mean, like, if she would you're not supposed to laugh at that one. That was not a joke. <laughs> I'm an awesome husband and an awesome dad, and I do all the things that I'm supposed to do to serve my family so well uh, because I do all, she should, like, if she would just appreciate me more, like, this, the whole thing would just work so much better. But again, like, I, like I, I, I tend to deflect that into her space. And, and we, we all have this tendency. We have this, this self-preservation or this self-justification where we, we look at the other, and if we can somehow blame the other, it must, makes us feel so much better about our own sin. It makes us feel so much better about where we fall short. Because if it's their fault, then, like, like, I'm just, like, I mean, I'm good. We do this in the places where we work. Like, if our coworkers would just, like, if they would just do more, like, we would be better as a company. If my boss would just give me more resources, we, we would just, we would do better. I, I would be more productive. I would be more effective. And, and we deflect and we blame and we push. And again, Daniel had every right. Daniel had every right to look at this king who came into his homeland and took him out of that place into another place, into a foreign place where the food was not kosher, where the relationships were pointing towards other gods, where the temples were built that way. And Daniel easily could have said, it's their fault, of course I can make different decisions. There is no other food to eat. Of course I'll eat bacon. Now, just to be clear, in the New Testament, uh, Jesus is very clear, or Paul is, Peter is, that the bacon is now clean for all of us because God made it. So if any of you are trying to decide whether you follow Leviticus 11, um, we can eat bacon together later. <laughs> but the, but the, that, that's, it would be easy for him. It's Ashpenaz's fault, or it's the guard's fault, or it's, or it's my friend's fault for not being stronger, or whatever it may be. But Daniel, what Daniel does, and this again, over and over again, we'll see this theme come up, is Daniel first looks to himself. He says, what can I do? What can I do in me that will transform me. And once I do that, then his influence is manifested. And as scripture says, it actually is manifested 10 times greater than those around him. Once his own life was secure, once his own patterns and disciplines were secure, once he committed to those things over three years, then he was put into a position of authority where he might then transform that community. The second question is with whom? 
One thing we'll see again over and over in this, this whole chapter, this whole book, is that Daniel never does things alone. And we get to know Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael, Mishael as uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But throughout this chapter, he continues to go back to his friends, and he does this with his friends. It wasn't just Daniel that took on uh, this pattern of eating. It was Daniel in, a, in, in, in these holy friendships, this, this, this group of people, these four friends, that together took on this discipline, together took on this pattern, and together were raised up in a way that they might then reflect more fully who Christ or God would call them to be. And therefore, they together gained influence by which they might change and challenge that culture around them. We were created to be in relationship. We were created to gather together. We were created not just for large gatherings, but for smaller gatherings to do this with, with families and with small groups and with, uh, with other people. And, and I would just challenge you in whatever we do to ask the question, with whom uh, are you doing this? Uh, this morning, we're actually going to chance to, to watch a story, to watch a, a, a testimony. It's uh, from a guy named Jeff Babcock. Jeff is, and his wife, Holly, are longtime members here. And as we were preparing for this series, Jeff and I were talking, and, and I, we talked about several things in his own life that have been changed. Uh, some was his own uh, physical health. Some was his own spiritual health. And as he was telling these stories, I'm like, this is perfect. Can we just tell this story uh, this week uh, for the Daniel series on, on the food? And he said, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. And so he came this week, and he shared his story, and I want you guys to get a chance to see it too. For many, many years, I struggled with a lot of health issues, um, you know, weight, stress, that sort of thing. And um, I tried a lot of different methods to try to uh, help with those. Um, those uh, problems that I had kind of manifested themselves in some heart issues. And so my doctor told me that I needed to get serious, that I needed to stop yo-yoing. Um, you know, I tried virtually every diet out there. Um, none of them really worked for me very well. And so I would try it, I'd be serious about it, and then I would give up on it and I would yo-yo, just, you know, going back and forth. And um, I finally, um, you know, had the motivation to really get serious about it when the doctor said that um, uh, my heart was showing some signs of uh, decay and I needed to, to really get serious about it. And so I found a method that really worked well for me. Um, I'm just going to call it, for lack of a better term, a, the portion control diet. Um, and I you know, limit my portion sizes and the number of portions uh, every single day. And uh, over the course of a couple years, I lost the weight that I uh, needed to lose. And over the past uh, five years, I've maintained it. Uh, so that's, uh, that's really been a, a big transformation, um, getting that burden off of my body uh, so that I can, you know, um, be free to, to live my life uh, with, uh, without some of those long, longer-term fears about what might be happening with my heart. Um, just like my physical health, my spiritual health was uh, in a lot of ways the same way, a lot of yo-yoing. Um, you know, when you take, you know, the family pressures, the work pressures, um, all the things that you have to do, you know, you don't really have time to pay much attention to your spiritual health. And even though I, like everybody, do, uh, does a lot of things, you know, I um, participate a lot in you know, church events, I serve the Lord a lot in, in things, I teach class, uh, still there was something missing, you know, a part of my spiritual health was just not right. I joined a accountability group, it's an online group, um, there's a bunch of us, men and women from all over the country that, you know, we gather once a week online and we talk about our spiritual journey and you know where our challenges are 
And this gentleman in the group, he identified that quite possibly the biggest gap that I had was that I wasn't engaged in reading the Bible on a regular basis. And he said, um, probably the best thing you can do is try to do that. So just like with diets, I tried every method on the planet. Um, I yo-yoed. <laughs> and um, uh, I finally came upon a method through him called the 40-day Bible reading challenge. He said, let's make it easy. Just read a chapter a day for 40 days, any book, any day of the, any time of the day, and I'll be your partner in this. So we'll, we'll each read a chapter a day, and then we'll just pick a verse or two that speaks to us, and we'll send it to each other on a daily basis. And uh, we can, you know, comment on it back and forth if we if we like, but if we don't, no big deal. And um, that was just absolutely life changing. Um, I've been in a perpetual state of 40-day Bible challenges since then. Um, not only with one person, but right now I'm engaged in five different 40-day Bible study uh, challenges because I keep challenging others. And um, it's amazing. Um, I often told my doctor when he said, reduce your stress, how do you do that? You know, because I got work, I got family, I got this, I got that. How do you do that? It's impossible. And I'm amazed, truly amazed, that um, you know, where I used to feel, feel it in my heart, the stress in my heart, I don't feel that anymore. Um, because I'm in the Bible literally every single day. 15 minutes, that's all I'm in it, really, and it's made a world of difference. So my physical health, my spiritual health are really kind of, you know, aligned. And um, I really recommend the same thing to anybody. You know, stop yo-yoing. Um, just find a method that works for you that you can do every single day um, and, and just spend the time to do it. And when you feel like you're being challenged and, and making it happen that day, just pray or reach out to somebody who's uh, your partner and have them just give you a nudge of encouragement. Uh, it works like a, like a charm, it really does. Jeff has been uh, engaging in both um, his physical health as well as his spiritual health for the last five years. It's been on a five-year journey for him. And so he's been in a 40-day Bible challenge as he shared uh, for five years. It started not with a five-year plan, but with a 40-day plan to say, for the next 40 days, we're just going to engage in this. Uh, for Daniel, it was three years. Uh, this, this journey towards spiritual health, this journey towards physical health, emotional health, relational health is not something that happens uh, in an instant. As someone who is by nature a procrastinator, that's hard for me. <laughs> I, want it, I want it done now. I want it done quickly. And yet it is a consistent, everyday practice or pattern that helps begin to change who we are. So as we look back from a journey you know, many years down the road, we look back on who we were now and who we are then, we know that God has used that time to transform us. So this is just my challenge uh, to all of us uh, this morning. The first question I would just ask you is, is what is God putting on your heart? What right now, what today, what, what in this moment is God inviting you to consider about your own spiritual health? Uh, is, is it perhaps uh, be, needing to be in Scripture? Is it perhaps uh, your prayer life or perhaps just being in worship? Perhaps, you know, one of the things Jeff has, has been covenanting with me for the summer is to be in worship. Is, is when they're in town, they're here. And make sure that we're all in worship. Leaders are in worship. Uh, maybe it's that. When you're here, you're, you're in worship. Or maybe when you're traveling, you're finding a church on a Sunday rather than using that as the time to sleep in to, to actually go find a church to be, to be worshiping and be a part of. It, perhaps it's, it's, a, it's an act of service, you know, plugging in a place where you might serve our kids or our youth or, or, or one another uh, or, the, or the world somewhere in this place. But where, where is God working on your heart? Not to, not to fix the things out there, not to fix the other person, not to fix the other thing, but to, to, to be transformed in yourself that God might be leading you to. And then with whom are you doing it? 
I think one of the things that I find over and over again is that, you know, I may commit to say, you know, I'm going to lose 15 pounds or I'm going to read scripture. And if I just say it myself, I mean, it might happen for a couple of days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months. But if I say it out loud to somebody and there's somebody I'm journeying with, it makes all the difference. And so I would just challenge you. And, and often it's someone you already know, someone you're already in relationship with. Maybe it's a, a spouse or a friend or a family member or, or someone in this church that, that you know that, that, that would be willing to take you with all of your flaws and all of your faults and journeying with you as you become and, and, and commit to looking more, more and more like Christ. And I would just challenge you to, to think about who those people might be that you might be journeying with as God is leading us to look more and more like Christ in all that we do. Because that really is this journey. In Methodism, we call it sanctification. It's the process of becoming holy. It does not happen overnight. It does not happen because we profess Christ. It happens because God is working with us. The Holy Spirit is moving with us and leading us day after day after day to look more and more uh, like Jesus. And so that is my prayer and my challenge for each of us this summer as, as we go through these abnormal rhythms, perhaps, that, that we find some other rhythms, some other disciplines that lead us to become and to look uh, more and more like Jesus in all that we do. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to close uh, with a closing song. Almighty God, uh, we, we trust uh, that even when, when our love fails, even when our commitment fails, even when we fall so short uh, of where you're calling us, uh, your love remains steadfast. Your Holy Spirit remains alive and moving and, and calling us and inviting us into new ways of being. So Lord, this morning, once again, we just offer ourselves to you. And we ask that you would receive us as your children, as your sons and daughters. That you would give us uh, not only the ability, but the courage to take our next step of faith, whatever that may be. And that tomorrow and the next day and the next, that we might find ways to fall more deeply in love with you to be reclaimed by you and to be a people in that in all that we do, uh, we might become, be becoming more and more uh, like your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.